You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Caleb Wilkinson. Well, it's wonderful to gather with y'all. Good morning. It's a privilege to be able to open up God's Word with you as well, and that's because I I, like you, love God's Word, and I know you love God's Word because, well, you're here this morning to, to listen to it, to, to hear it, and if you're online, we trust you, love God's Word too. But there's another reason why this is a privilege, uh, and it's because I love you guys. I love you guys. That's why it's a gift to do this. Uh, you know, I'm kind of a lazy cook. Uh, when it comes to our families kind of food needs, the best I do is give Madi a break and take him out to eat or pick up takeout. And I, 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 I love doing that, not just because I like the food, but because I love my family. And so whether I'm picking up donuts or Thai food and, and bringing it back to them, uh, there's, there's a warmness in my heart when I do it. And it's, it's not just because I like the food. It's because I, I love my family. And this is the sort of, sort of the way I view the pastor's privilege each week when he preaches to his church family. He doesn't make any food. Uh, the food is the Word of God. It's the, the Bible. We just get to spend the week going and picking it up and then laying it before those we love so that, so that we can all be nourished by God's Word together. So it's a privilege. While I've been doing just that this week, I've been thinking a lot about a particular object. See if you can guess what it is before I, before I name it. Small or big, grand or simple, colorful or dull, new or old, every home, office, or church building has at least one common feature. It's an aspect of a building that we often think little about. We certainly spend less time there than most other places in, in those buildings. And at the very same time, there is no object laced with more significance. I'm talking about a door. A door. Such a common object is often taken for granted. But what if the significance of our doors were less about their color or substance and more about what they symbolize? In reality, they're, they're so much more than stained wood. They are portals of hospitality. They're symbols of welcome. And there isn't anything more desired or more satisfying or more significant than welcome. And I think that we all agree there's no place in all of creation where we can and should receive and give the message more than the church. Welcome. Doors and welcome are so tied together that a common way to say you're welcome in English is to say the door is open. I like how one church pairs the idea of welcome 
and open doors at the beginning of all their Sunday gatherings. Listen to this rich weekly greeting. To all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a savior, this church opens wide her doors with a welcome from Jesus Christ, the ally of his enemies, the defender of the guilty, the justifier of the inexcusable, the friend of sinners. Welcome. Now, we might not say it quite like that here every Sunday, but we've all experienced this in some form or fashion here at Grace Church. And it's what we aspire to be, isn't it? A welcome people that clearly declare the doors are open to all. This morning, we're going to dive back into the book of Acts with chapter 10. And I believe the Lord wants to use this passage to help us continue to grow into this type of community. He wants, us, he wants to comfort and challenge us with this message. The, the open door to Jesus is the open door to his people. The open door to Jesus is the open door to his people. So chapter 10 is actually a pretty lengthy story. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it and pause to make some observations along the way just to help fill it out a bit. And then we'll make some, we'll kind of land with some key points and applications that I hope will help us get our heads and our hearts around this, this main big idea. The, the open door to Jesus is the open door to his people. So read with me beginning in Acts 10, verse 1. And remember, as we do read together, this is God's word for us this morning. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. And so here we're, we're introduced to what's going to be one of the main characters in the story, Cornelius. He's an officer in the Roman army with the rank equivalent to a captain or if you're a Navy person, a lieutenant, which means he's probably overseeing about 100 people. And he's doing so in a really significant and important city named Caesarea. And you might have missed this because the way we pronounce it, but that's the city named after Caesar. It's really important. It was the, actually the Roman capital in Judea, and it had a large military presence. And it's so important that that's why we're going to return here for Paul's trials later in Acts. And remember this as we, as we keep going through Acts, that Rome was seen as the great enemy. They had conquered Israel brutally. They occupied Israel. They continued to rule over it. But this particular Roman centurion is described as a devout man. So this likely meant that, that this man in the enemy's army was what was called a God-fearer, a Gentile who'd 
left behind and forsaken Roman gods and, and worshiped the God of Israel. He went to synagogue. He shared the hope of the Hebrew scriptures. He wasn't considered a full convert, most likely because he didn't adhere to the, uh, the food laws and, and, and circumcision. But, but this is Cornelius, a devout man. And so Cornelius is praying, and the text says in verse 3 that at about the ninth hour of the day, that's, that's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among these who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And so Cornelius, he's, he's been in the practice of praying to the God of Israel, maybe longing for the fulfillment of God's promises. And here's the start of his prayers being answered. But, but pay attention as we move forward into the story, because while it might seem like it's Cornelius's prayers that sort of get the ball rolling, all the hints of the providential timing will make it clear, and they're obvious. Luke, the author, wants us to see them. They're obvious, and they're pointing to the, this reality. This is all orchestrated by God. So we left Acts back a few weeks ago before we started our Advent series with Paul's conversion and the start of his ministry to the Jews. So we left off with this verse, Acts 9.31. And it said, The church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And we didn't preach through the last part of chapter 9, but, but here what we, what we would see, what we, we see when we read, is just a further extension of that multiplication, but through Peter's ministry. And so at the end of chapter 9, he does a couple of miracles, including healing a paralytic girl and raising a dead woman to life. And many people in that, those regions turn to trust in Jesus as a result. And, and through these miracles, we also see further proof that Peter is God's authorized representative, which, which is really important for the story we're now in. Okay, so at the end of chapter 9, he ends up in Joppa, and that's where we find him next. But again, as we read along, let's not miss God's providential timing. This is all God's doing. While the servants are en route to Joppa from Caesarea, about a 30-mile journey, God pursues Peter and prepares him to accept the invitation he hasn't even heard yet. So verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, about noon. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. 
In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So this is a bit of a bizarre-sounding vision. He's praying, he falls into a trance, and he has a vision of some sort of large sheet with really the entire animal world represented on it, including clean and unclean animals. Unclean animals were forbidden by the Mosaic law uh, to eat. But at the same time, he recognizes that it's the Lord speaking. And yet he objects, by no means, Lord. And and really this just shows how strong the barriers were to to this unclean food, which, which what we'll see is really representative of the strong barriers between Jews and Gentiles. And so, you know, on one hand, it shows how strong the barriers are. And on the other hand, it, it, this is a bit comical because Peter's saying, by no means, I, I object, Lord the one that I say I submit to. So the Lord gives him another command, and it's not to eat what's unclean, but to not call common what God has made clean. And the Lord does this three times. It's a common number with Peter, him and the Lord. It takes him three times, so probably like a lot of us. But but really here, this this is the Lord emphasizing I am doing this. I, the Lord, am bringing about the change, making the unclean clean, the the unacceptable acceptable. This is super confusing to Peter, but he's about to find out what all this is about. So, So pick up with me in verse 17. Now, While Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gates and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason you're coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. And so he invited them in to be his guest. Okay, well, there's, there's more of God's providential timing while Peter is processing this bizarre vision, the servants show up. And before Peter even sees them, the Spirit instructs him to go with them. That it's God, note that it's God, not Cornelius, who's sent them. With the arrival of these servants, Peter understands the vision. We're going to see this just in a moment. But what he's, 
realize is that it's not mainly about animals, but about people. And I think it's important to note that this is all taking place in Joppa. What else do you know, if you've read the Bible for some time, has taken place in Joppa? This is where that prodigal prophet Jonah got on a boat headed in the other direction, rejecting God's call for him to go to his enemies with a message of mercy. So what's Peter going to do? Let's keep reading. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me, this is proof that he already got the vision. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. So Peter explains that he's there because God sent him. He's God's representative. He has this newly learned lesson. And when he asked Cornelius why he's invited, Cornelius just recounts his his vision, that that God commanded him to do so. And and in verse 33, he says, So I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. And so Cornelius and many others are gathered, and they're primed for this message from God. And everyone here is absolutely convinced that this is, oh, God setting up the moment. Something's going to happen. The stage is set. There's a message that they're waiting for. And so the focus turns to Peter's message. Verse 34. So Peter opened up his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what's right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning with Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. 
To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So let's look at this message because this is really the first point. The, The message can be summarized as the door is open. Because as, as Peter explains the gospel, he's, he's clearly framing it as a divine welcome to all. Listen again to the Peter's sermon introduction. In verse 34, he says, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This is huge. With with Peter's vision and this sermon and what's to follow, God's inaugurating a new paradigm and determining the nature of his people. This is a transition from the old way of doing things to a whole new epic of God's redemptive activity. The door is now open to all. All are welcome. And some people have used this text to teach that one doesn't need to trust in Jesus, to know the gospel, to be welcomed by God, that good adherence to other religions can be saved too without, without ever knowing the name of Jesus. But we can see from this story that this is obviously not the case. For one, why did God need to send Peter with a message in the first place if Cornelius was already saved because he was a good adherence. Uh, I don't want to steal too much from next week, but, but listen to how Peter describes Cornelius to the other apostles in, in chapter eleven fourteen, 14. He, he says, Cornelius told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, send to Joppa and bring Simon Peter called, Simon called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your household. So in this description, the message is the means of salvation. The angel tells Cornelius, through it, you will be saved. Not not a description of a present reality, but a a promise of a future. And, And just look how clearly he ends the message. Verse 43, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So it's very clear. It's those who believe in Jesus, the judge of all, who receive forgiveness of sins. John Stott puts it well. He writes, the emphasis here is that Cornelius's Gentile nationality was acceptable so that he didn't need to become a Jew. Not that his own righteousness was adequate so that he had no need to become a Christian. So, Peter's not saying that God's indifferent to religions. He's saying that when it comes to salvation, he's indifferent to nations, ethnicities, races, cultures. There are no racial barriers to salvation. The door is open to all, but only through Jesus. And it's not like just that, you know, you, you can use the name of Jesus. You can kind of magically invoke the name, just say the name, uh, and that's where salvation comes from. But it's trusting in his life and his work, which Peter summarizes here in his message. Jesus is the Lord or King of all, and 
though he was God's chosen servant who went around doing good, he died by being hung on a tree, which is a death that was cursed by God. And what's implied here is that Jesus, he went around doing good. God was with him. He didn't die a cursed death because of his life, but because he was dying in the place of cursed sinners. But God raised Jesus from the dead. He proved that he is righteous Lord and universal judge of all, and that Jesus is God's promised means of complete forgiveness of sins and acceptance with God for everyone who believes in him. Matthew 16 records an event in Peter's life that happened a little earlier when Jesus told Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What do keys do? They they open doors. Peter is like a divinely elected mayor who comes to the city's big grand opening ceremonies to cut the ribbon. And so in Acts 2, we see Peter open the door to the Jews. And in chapter 8, we see him opening the door to the Samaritans. But now here, he's cut the ribbon. He's turned the key. He's flung the doors open to everyone, to the Gentiles. And he does it through the same gospel message. What, what's called here is the good news of peace. The door is open. Let's not take this for granted. This wasn't always the case. All tribes, tongues, peoples, and nations are given the divine welcome. Come, trust in Jesus, be forgiven. There may have been a bit of a soft launch earlier in Acts with with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, but this is the hard launch. This is the grand opening. This is the free-for-all for the world. And this is unbelievable news for all of us, especially as as most, if not every single one of us, is a Gentile in this room. But it's aimed to be especially sweet to those who feel like perpetual outsiders. For you who regularly feel worthless and weak and unimportant, unnoticed, or, or unworthy. And if this is you today, hear God's invitation through the words of Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of this passage from the message. He says, this is God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer. God plays no favorites. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. The message he sent to the children of Israel that through Jesus Christ, everything is being put together again. Well, he's doing it everywhere among everyone. With Jesus, there are no outsiders. There's no haves and haves nots, no no favorites. All you need to walk through the open door is, is nothing. Nothing but your need for rest, nothing but your desire to be welcomed by him. The door to Jesus is open to all you are welcome. Well, the last part of the story moves from knowing the door to Jesus is open to, to that, that's the message, to experiencing it. Verse 44. While 
Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. The Lord gives even more than a message that the door is open to all. He gives a great confirmation. It's like he's saying, Peter and friends, you knew and and even proclaimed the message, but now it's time to see it and experiencing it and experience it. The door is open. Really, the door is open to all. And that's why it's only after the confirmation of the message that Peter and his friends were amazed. You could say they were utterly astonished. Why such strong language now? After they they already had the message down pat. Because while knowing the message and experiencing the confirmation of the message, they're, they're never separate. They are distinct. Now this text is describing what's been called the Gentile Pentecost. Because... The same thing is happening here that happened in Acts 2. It's, it's an, a turning event in history, a universal, once and for all, ribbon cutting that ushers in a new era. And so these events aren't exactly the ongoing, repeatable confirmations that God gives to everyone, everywhere, every time. But I think there are some, there's some important overlap with these eyewitnesses and ourselves. Because many of us in this room, we can articulate the gospel well, but, but when's the last time you experienced the confirmation of it so that you were amazed by it, utterly astonished? As a new Christian man, I, I wrestled a lot with assurance I spent much time anxious about whether the door was really open to me after all I had done and how slow I was changing. I, I, I wanted, I longed for, you could say, confirmation. And I remember uh, being in a military, you know, an Air Force dorm room in New Mexico uh, when I vividly, I vividly remember this, I, vividly, I remember watching a video of Billy Graham preaching. And he told of a a Pennsylvania man who was sentenced to prison for crimes he committed. And and seven or eight years after he was in prison, his parole date approached. And he wrote a letter to his wife and his children, whom he'd sinned against so terribly, saying, In a few days, I'll be released from prison. I know you probably don't want me to come home or ever to see me again, but, but maybe you would have some love left for me. I'll be on a certain bus and I'll be passing by the house. If you still want me, put a yellow ribbon on the door. If not, I'll stay on the bus and leave you to your lives. Well, the day finally came, the man walked out of prison and he walked on to that certain bus which started down the road and 
after some college students boarded the bus with him, uh, they found out about what, what was going on and soon the whole bus knew and were eagerly waiting with him to see what would happen. And as they turned the last corner and came down the last road leading to the man's house, they, they could see it from a half mile away. Nothing but yellow. Yes, a yellow ribbon on the door, but also yellow sheets hanging from every window and tree and yellow balloons floating over every mailbox on the streets. And so as the man walked up to the house, his family ran out to embrace him and the bus applauded. Friends, our God longs for us to know that the door is open. And... He longs for us to experience it too. But the mark he uses to confirm your welcome is not yellow ribbons, but his spirit. And while his spirit still manifests himself in extraordinary ways, like we just read about, the, the more ordinary ways he shows that he's with us, they're no less miraculous. In fact, you could argue that they're even more profound, that in the middle of your dark battles with sin and suffering, he reminds you, you're my child, that he helps you experience his love over and over again in the, in the midst of the dark so that you're still convinced that the door is open to you. And, and you find your heart crying, even silently, Father. That's the spirit right now, right there. It's God's street of yellow ribbons for you and me. He, he wants us, he wants us to experience his welcome. And still, there's even more going on here. This isn't just a message we know and, and then experience. It's one we're transformed by. And so we could organize the whole passage like this. The, the proclamation of the open door, the confirmation of the open door, and now the transformation of the open door. The focus here is, has been on the Gentile conversion. But don't forget about the whole story because it's also about Peter's transformation. This is actually the climax of the story. It, it's, if this was a bingeable show with a cliffhanger to keep, make you keep watching, it wouldn't have cut off the episode with Peter's sermon and make you wait to see what are the Gentiles going to do. It would have cut off the show after the spirit fell and made you wait and ask all week, what is Peter going to do? Is Peter going to be like that prodigal prophet Jonah who sees his enemies receiving mercy and he storms off in, in anger and sulks? What's he going to do? What we're going to see is that the amazing answer to that question is no. He's not going to be like Jonah. Let, let, let's, let's read verse 47. It says, Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? 
And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. So Peter makes a radical shift. It's even, it's even more clear in the NIV translation. He goes from responding to this sheet vision with in the NIV, surely not, Lord, to responding here. Surely no one can stand in the way of the Gentiles being baptized. So what's at the heart of this radical shift? Verse 47 says, because they've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. He sees that the very same thing that happened to him and believing Jews happened to the believing Gentiles. The most important thing about them, about him, is the same thing. The door has been opened to God. They've received the grace of, of Jesus, and now they've been filled by his Holy Spirit. This is, this is what he says. They have just as we have. I mean, this is the language that births new fellowship and even new friendships. Oh, you too? So you see, this message does something to its messengers. This confirmation does something to the confirmed. The message and the confirmation that the door is open to all opens their own hearts to all. And that's why I'm saying the main point is the open door to Jesus is the open door to his people. And so Peter concludes, there are no objections to their baptism, which of course is a representation of what's already taken place in the Gentiles' lives. They've been saved. They've been spirit-filled. But it's more. It's the official welcome into fellowship. They're no longer outsiders. They're now members of the very same body. And so they ask Peter to stay because, well, they need more than the Holy Spirit, just like we do. They need nourishment. They need teaching. And, and, uh, and so this is really just the great commission we're saying. And the assumption is that Peter does stay. And that's a huge deal because in these days, it was one thing for you to invite a Jew to invite a Gentile into your home that didn't make you unclean, but it was altogether a different thing to go into a Gentile's house. That would be defiling. But Peter's been converted. This is about Peter's transformation. He's been converted to a new paradigm, and it's the paradigm of the whole Christian church, which says the door is open to all. And the open door to Jesus is the same door. It's the open door to us. Church, so don't miss how radical this is. It's nothing short of the birth of an altogether new humanity. Cultures like to divide humanity into two parts. The Greeks and the barbarians the Jews, and the Gentiles. But the gospel births what early Christians called the third race of man. In the following centuries, Jews and Gentiles, they remained, but Christians were eventually regarded as neither. They constituted a new humanity. And so a few applications before we go. And if you've been around some time, these are going to sound familiar. First, our theme this year, learning to love cross-culturally, 
Um, that, that's what it is. So what we've already seen, uh, we've already seen this is a prominent theme in the book of Acts. If we had to choose the most important verse in the book of Acts, it would have been Acts 1.8, which says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Most important verse in Acts. If we had to choose the most important chapter in the book of Acts, it could be this one. For one, because this is the fulfillment, not, not the completion, but the fulfillment of the most important verse. And second, the length of this section is significant. It's part of the longest section in the book. And third, because it's repeated. It's going to be repeated next week in chapter 11 and then again in chapter 15. And so I just want to draw your attention to the fact that our ministry theme of learning to love cross-culturally isn't some popular, trendy, political idea that we're forcing into the book of Acts. Instead, the book of Acts, the, the Bible, God's word, is forcing it onto us. And while there might be some overlap in culture, it's really, if we look at this, it's really a altogether different idea. Right and left secular cultures misdiagnose the root problem and they misprescribe the solution. This text shouts that the only solution to a sin-divided humanity is Jesus Christ. It's very maker and redeemer and, and nothing and no one else. It's the Spirit of God alone that can reunite what's been torn asunder through the gospel. No one in left or right politics is proclaiming that. There might be some really good things on some, on some tickets come November, but they won't have that on their ticket. Jesus Christ is a solution to the sin-divided humanity. The Spirit of God can unite what's been torn asunder. That's not, not going to be on anyone's ticket in November. Next, we've said it before, but learning to love cross-culturally, it starts here with us, a church family from the nations united in Jesus. And so much good is going on. We're, we're growing. This is grace. But even Peter, the, the messenger here, on the scene of the birth of the new humanity, later backed off from this message. That's why in Galatians 2, Paul reports having to confront Peter after he separated himself from his Gentile brothers because he was afraid of what other people would think. Paul called it a failure to be in step with the very gospel. So if Peter, the one here giving the message, the eyewitness of this, if he stumbled and needed correction and to keep learning, let's be assured we probably will too. And so let's be humble and be open to areas where we're not in step with the gospel, where we're, some, we're somehow negating the message that the open door to Jesus is the open door to us. I don't have an exhaustive list, but, but here are two self-checks that, that may help you. Okay, first, ask yourself again, who do I share more affinity with, a non-Christian in, in my group or a Christian in the other group? Your group could be nationality, race, an economic class, an age or generation, 
political party, sports team, profession, a place you live. But for example, do I have more in common with a Sri Lankan Christian or an American non-Christian? Even a non-Christian in my own family? Or maybe even harder for us. Maybe this is too hard for us. Maybe we're not ready for this one. But it's closer to what Peter got on this day. Do I share more in common with a Christian in the army of my nation's enemy? Or a non-Christian in my nation's army or an allies? Think through your categories to see if you're in step with the gospel here. Next, and this is especially for you parents or grandparents, ask yourself this. What are the most important factors in a potential spouse for my child? Now, this might seem like a bizarre application question, but this is a big deal in many cultures. How willing would I be to give my son or daughter to be married to a Christian Christian of a different race, of any race. Do a self-check is all I'm asking. See how you're doing and go to the Lord with it. Of course, this isn't meant to stay here in our church family. Friends, in a similar way that our Lord brought Cornelius and his friends to Peter's door, he's bringing the nations to our doors. He's bringing the nations to our backyard. And and many of them are coming from lands that don't have this message or people with this message. They're coming here blinded by false religions and, and blinded by the secular idols of materialism and education and even family. And so in Frisco, it appears to them and to us who are rubbing shoulders with them every day that, that they don't need anything, that they have everything they want. But of course, we know they don't. Without Jesus, they don't have the forgiveness of sins. The, the door is open to them, but only through Jesus. And so let's carry the nations in our backyard that are at our very doors on our hearts. Let's pray with compassion over them and let's open the doors of our lives to them as we can. Let's make efforts to learn to better love those whom we have the opportunity to do so with. Let's be ready to give them the message that through Christ, the door is open to them. And finally, let's all remember that the open door to Jesus is the open door to his people. The open door to Jesus is the open door to us. And so let's be people of open hearts, both as we gather and as we scatter. Let's be people who say in thought, word, and deed to our community over and over again, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and desire strength, to all who sin and need a savior, this church opens wide her doors with a welcome from Jesus Christ, the ally of his enemies, the defender of the guilty, the justifier of the inexcusable, the friend of sinners. Welcome. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.